15, from verses 16 to 30, and it's on page 1110 of the Pew Bibles. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Do not harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This is the word of the Lord. Well, it does seem like quite a while since I've been standing up here opening the Word of God. I managed to catch up with COVID, or COVID managed to catch up with me on my holiday. And uh, so we were up in central Otago, so I prescribed some self-medication of pies and lamingtons, and, and that seemed to work quite well. I haven't lost any weight, Tim, so uh, I can recommend that for those of you who are suffering through COVID. And then I was to be on, la- on deck last week, and uh, unfortunately Mary came down with a vomiting bug last Saturday night during the rugby and uh, I'm not sure whether it was the meal that I cooked or the rugby that caused this, but uh, it's been quite a week or two. But I know that you had an exceptional sermon preached to you last Sunday by Zishan from Acts 15, and we've jumped back into the series in Acts. And you heard, for those of you who were here last year, last week, or were tuning in like I was, you heard how the church was wrestling about what external applications the church were going to be placing on new believers. And of course, those early Jewish believers had the expectation that circumcision would be one of the external requirements. Uh, But the early church got together and the apostles rejected this yoke. And as we heard last week, the apostles said the following, No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. 
And Zishan reminded us of the richness of the grace of God and the importance of the grace of God. But we're going to learn this morning uh, that to know the doctrine of the grace of God is one thing, but to actually live it out, that's a whole different matter, right? And even the apostles might know it in their heads, but to live it out, that's a different thing. And we're going to see the challenges of that in Acts chapter 16. So pause with me as we pray and ask for God's inspiration. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that it is living and active. And as we sit under this word, we pray now, even now, by your spirit, you might humble our proud hearts, you might heal our broken hearts, that you might strengthen our timid hearts, that we might know Jesus in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever come across a church where disagreements and divisions take place. Now clearly I'm not talking about Hope Church because we are as pure as the driven snow, right? But have you ever, I heard that amen, there we go. Praise the Lord. But I wonder, just the odd one of you might have come across a church that experiences such sharp divisions that it threatens the very fellowship. I wonder if that's been your experience. Now, there's something a little out of whack with many Christians thinking, which allows them to hold on to an unbiblical perspective that Christians should not or do not disagree. Clearly, from the very beginning... Christians have struggled with matters, and that's what we see here in Acts, at the end of Acts 15 and into Acts 16. If you haven't opened your Bible and you've got one handy, turn now with me to Acts 15, and I'm reading from verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches." So allow those words to just settle on your heart. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas wanted to take his cousin, John Mark, along. And Paul didn't think it was wise because this particular individual had deserted them earlier at Pamphylia. Uh, He hadn't persevered, Paul said, and so in his wisdom, he said, no, this is not a good idea. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company and they went in different directions. Paul chooses Silas, and Luke records that he's a prophet, and they head northwest, and Barnabas and Mark head southwest to Cyprus. If you've got that map on the screen, we could put that up, please, now, Jono. So this is the second missionary journey. So this is where uh, the division takes place around here and Barnabas and Mark head there and Paul and Cyrus and his team head up northwest up there, which is modern day Turkey. Now, 
it's easy, I think, and I often do it, to paint Paul as the super saint, perfect in all of his ways, uh, the champion of grace, but even Paul at times can struggle to live out the call to apply the grace of God with those around him. Perhaps we could say falling short of Jesus' example of forgiving 70 times 7. You heard last week, for those of you who are here, Paul uh, speaking to Timothy the following words, the grace of our Lord was poured out onto me abundantly along with the faith and the love that we are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. So Paul was quite open about his struggle at times. And any of you who are familiar with Romans 7, you'll know that he aspired to live out the grace of God, but even he, this super apostle, struggled at times. And so we find this division taking in the early church, taking place. But such is the providence of God. This division between missionary brothers is used by God to extend his church in two directions, not just one. So we can see God's hand on this. Barnabas and Mark, as I've said, head southwest. Paul and his band head northwest. And significantly, they are about to take the gospel into what would become Europe. And they're about to plant the first church in what would become Europe, what would become the stronghold of Christianity for 1,600, perhaps 1,700 years. So this chapter is so significant in the life of the church. God uses this division to multiply and extend his kingdom. We're multiplying and extending our kingdom through Lima and Prasath. I'm pleased to say it's not because of division. But God, in his providential hand, is multiplying his church here in Acts 15 and 16. Those traveling with Paul include Silas. Timothy gets picked up shortly and likely Luke and other unnamed partners in the gospel are in this team that heading up into, into Asia Minor. They try to turn into West Asia Minor, but Luke records that they are stopped by the Holy Spirit. They then try to head up into Bithynia, uh, which is in the top right of the map there, but Luke records that they are stopped by the Spirit of Jesus. And then in a night... In a vision, we read the following words in verse 9 of chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, Macedonia, of course, is modern-day northern Greek. So they are now being called by God, they would say, to step into modern-day northern Greece, Macedonia. God calls the team to go and preach the gospel in Europe. And the power of the gospel unfolds in incredible ways. They go through a few islands, and then they finally land in the little town of Philippi. Now, Philippi is a Roman colony Luke records for us, but it appears that it doesn't have a synagogue there. Uh, it appears that there is a place of prayer where some of the ladies, the believers, might be gathering, believers in God might be gathering, uh, but there appears to be no synagogue. 
So Paul and his band go to that place of prayer. It's by the river outside the city gates, Luke records for us. Some women are there, including this woman, Lydia. Lydia is a worshipper of God. She is a dealer in fine purple linen. She's a businesswoman. She's a successful businesswoman. She's a believer of God's. And Paul speaks the message of Christ to her. And Luke records that God opens her heart to believe. That's always the way in evangelism. We preach the gospel. We preach the message of God's, the message of Christ. And God is the one who opens the hearts of believers. And that was what happened with Lydia. She, Luke records, and the members of her household believe in the Lord Jesus and the whole household is baptized, presumably at the river. Lydia invites the missionary band to stay in her house, which they are persuaded to do. Notice the first fruit of Lydia's conversion is this generous hospitality. She says, come and stay with us, come and dine with us. And the believers are persuaded to do that. They stay in that area. The missionary band stay in that area for a few days. And a young female slave catches on to them and starts following them around. And this female slave is possessed by a spirit. A spirit that she uses to predict the future. And she starts following them around for three or four days, Luke records. And then she starts annoying Paul. And she says the following. She says... These are the servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, she was, of course, speaking the truth here. But Paul got a bit annoyed about her following around and uh, giving this running commentary. And so eventually, Paul turns around and he gives us a tutorial in demonic deliverance. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And she is delivered immediately of this evil spirit. I want to acknowledge just the importance of what Paul does here in delivering this female uh, slave from the demonic spirit. And I want to encourage you to never take the demonic on in your own strength. Notice how Paul delivers this girl in the name of the Lord Jesus. And notice also the reaction that takes place. Now, as this woman is delivered of the evil spirits, uh, her masters are very upset because she was a means of their income stream as she would predict the future. And so look at verse 19 and following. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas. They dragged him into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews, and they are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison. The jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. So this reaction uh, spills out from not just the female slave owners, uh, but also as they get dragged into the marketplace and they are beaten, they are flogged, and they are sentenced to prison. Remember that these two have been severely flogged, that they have been beaten, they are in rough shape. 
They're in prison, and yet they are undaunted. And Luke records they, at the midnight hour, they are praying and they are singing hymns. Now, I've only spent one night in prison, and I remember the midnight hour vividly. Uh, because my jailer came in and sang happy birthday to me and I can assure you I wasn't praying and I wasn't singing hymns at that point and I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. But here we go, we find Paul and Silas in this midnight hour, they have been beaten, they have been flogged and they are imprisoned and they are praying and they are singing hymns and Luke records how the other prisoners are watching on intently. They're going, what's, what's going on? What's with these guys praying and singing hymns? Well, Paul and Silas were fearless for good reason. Because they knew who was in charge. They knew that their God was in charge. And so they were praising God. They were singing hymns because their faith was in God. And look how God moved powerfully. God's hand is shown. An earthquake hits the prison. Uh, these These... Prisoners have chains around their feet. The earthquake hits the prison. The doors fling open. The chains fall off their feet. And they, for all intents and purposes, are free to go. But they don't go. The jailer wakes up and he sees the prison doors have been opened and he knows the prisoners will be gone. And so he pulls his sword out and he's about to commit suicide because he knows that if his prisoners have gone then his life is gone as well. He pulls the sword, and what does Paul say? He says the following in verse 28. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's the most important question that you can ever ask. What must I do to be saved? We can ask many questions. We can ask questions about who might I be to marry God? What, what course of study should I be pursuing? What job should I take? Or who should be the all-black coach right now? I've got a few ideas on that one. <laughs> but the most important question you must ask is what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Paul answers the question. Paul and Silas answer the question. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to them, to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. What an incredible transformation! What an amazing transformation. This jailer goes from being suicidal to giving it all away to believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and he is filled with joy. And notice again the fruit of his conversion. What does he do? He says, come bring your band in and he opens his home. He offers hospitality to these missionaries who have shared the gospel with him. 
And notice that it is, again, just as it was for Lydia, his whole household are saved. His whole household are baptized. This gospel is having repercussions beyond the individuals. Tonight, we're going to baptize Abby and Felix and who else? Ben. We're baptizing Ben as well. Praise God. What a celebration. Why? Because these individuals have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and they are saved. Praise God. But what about you? What about you this morning? We might ask the corresponding question, what are we saved from? What is it that God wants us to be saved from? And we'll come to that in a moment. But first, let's consider this grace that Paul and Silas are living under. The unreserved favor of God as I define God's grace. The unreserved favor of God. When Paul and Silas set out on this secondary, second missionary journey, they were commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. They were commended by the believers to the unreserved favor of God. And that's what they're marching and that's what they're proclaiming. Regardless of who you are or where you come from, God's salvation is ready available to you in Christ Jesus. I want us to notice in this chapter that this grace comes with wisdom, justice, and power. It comes with wisdom, justice, and power. The reason that John Mark doesn't join this team is because of Paul's wisdom. He determines that his lack of perseverance will hinder the gospel. And so I want to suggest this morning that God's grace does not exclude the wisdom of God. It does not exclude hard decisions being called for and being made. God's grace is not an opposition to the wise choosing the best man or woman for the team. Grace does not exclude wisdom. Likewise, the unreserved favor of God does not mean that justice is left undone. On the contrary, God's grace is built on the justice of God. It is at the cross of Christ that all human justice gets fulfilled and worked out. This does not, of course, mean that we are excluded from injustice. Indeed, the Lord Jesus shows and declares that persecution will follow the believers. And surely that was the case for Paul and Silas in this incident. They're falsely accused. They're subject to violent anti-Semitism. It's, the, it's this anti-Semitism that the, the slave owners stir up in the mob. And yet they are beaten, they are locked up, but God's justice intervenes. And when Paul invokes his rights as a Roman citizen, the, the authorities were horrified to know that these were Roman, Roman citizens and they try to get them out of the city as quickly as they can. Living in the grace of God does not mean that injustice is allowed to continually flow over you. You may indeed be persecuted, but the grace of God does not exclude the justice of God's. The third point we see in this encounter is the power of the gospel. Three lives radically transformed by the power of the gospel. Three more different people you couldn't find. Three more different people you couldn't find. We have Lydia, this wealthy businesswoman. 
And yet she is a believer in God, but she does not know the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this slave girl at the very bottom of the Roman pecking order. She's possessed by the demonic. And she is at the, very, she is at the, at the best a chattel. And then we have this Roman jailer somewhere in between those two ladies. All of them radically changed and transformed by the power of the gospel. A first century Orthodox Jewish husband would pray the following prayer every morning. God, I thank you that I'm not born a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. And guess who the three people that God chooses to establish his church here in Philippi are? A woman, a slave, and a Gentile. Such is the power of God's gospel. The grace of God excludes nobody. The truth of God excuses nobody, but the love of God embraces everybody. What about you this morning? Where do you find yourself this morning? Maybe you are comfortable in your work. Maybe like Lydia, your work is going well and you're wealthy and and you're comfortable and yet there is more for you to know. Or maybe you find yourself in a spiritual battle at the moment. Maybe there is a spiritual oppression over you. Like the slave girl, maybe there is even oppression over you. The power of the gospel can set you free. Or maybe you're like the jailer, somewhere in between, muddling along, doing your best, doing your best, and yet so, so lost. The good news of Jesus Christ is that it will set you free. It will set you free. What Luke is describing here in Acts chapter 16 is the first European church, the church of Philippi. And this church would go on to be so significant in establishing the gospel throughout Europe. And as I said, this would be the power base of the church for the next 1,600, perhaps 1,700 years. The church of Philippi became so important that the letter that Paul wrote to it gets enshrined in the canon of the scriptures. And we read in Philippi how Paul was so encouraged by their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The first day is this first day here that we've been looking at this morning. Paul is confident that what God begins in them, he will bring to completion, and he's confident in that for you too. What must I do to be saved? I ask the corresponding question, what is that we are saved from? There's at least four things that we need to be saved from from ourselves, from the devil, from the judgment of God, and from the world. Firstly, we need to be saved from ourselves. That rebellious heart, or that heart which is so, so broken that you struggle to see any worth in your own self. They look different, but actually the foundation is the same, and both bring a bondage of self-focus. We need to be saved from that self-focus. From demonic oppression, don't ignore or underestimate the power of the devil. And I want to especially encourage the church to be praying for our baptismal candidates. As they go through the waters of baptism, know that the enemy wants to rob them of their salvation. That that can't happen. The victory has happened and it is secure. But know that the enemy does not let go easily. The blood of Calvary has defeated Satan 
And in Christ, you are free. You are set free from demonic oppression. Thirdly, we are saved from the wrath of God. The judgment of God will fall on all unbelief. It will fall on all evil. And every one of us in this room this morning, in the fullness of time, will stand before God. And God in his righteousness will judge our lives. The only confidence that we can stand before God on the day of judgment and to avoid his judgment is to stand in the righteousness of Christ, to be saved from the wrath of God. Fourthly, to be saved from the world, the bondage of the world, to be released from it. The world which says you need more. You need more money. You need more friends on social media. You need more this and more that. And God would say, no. All you need is my son. The world that teaches you to be afraid. Be afraid of climate change. Be afraid of COVID. Be afraid of whatever the latest thing is that the media is peddling. And God would say, in Christ there is no fear. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Be transformed, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. The chains of slavery take many forms, but the gospel of Jesus Christ will set you free if you allow him in. Van Morrison puts it so eloquently when he describes the scene. Let the slave grinding at the mill run out into the field. Let him look up into the heavens and laugh in the bright air. Let the enchained soul shut up in darkness in sighing whose face has never seen a smile in 30 weary years. Rosen, look out, his chains are loose, his dungeon doors are open, and let his wife and children return from the oppressor's scourge. They look behind at every step and believe, and believe. It is a dream, singing, the sun has left his blackness and has found his fresher morning. What must you do to be saved? What must you do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. If you have never come to the cross of Christ, if you have never exercised your faith, if you have never turned away from the world and the flesh and the devil, then now is the opportunity to come to Christ in faith. Put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have been walking with God for many years, if you've known God for many years and yet there is something in your journey right now that is entangling you, that is holding you back from the fullness of the freedom that God has for you, turn back. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Allow his victory to be your victory. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word of truth this morning. We thank you and praise you for the faithfulness of Paul and Silas, for the proclamation of the gospel. Above all, we thank you and praise you for the faithfulness of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as individuals, as households, as a church, we afresh put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We thank you for taking us through the waters of baptism. We praise you and thank you for Felix and Ben and Abby and we especially lift them up to you now and we praise you for the salvation that you have won for them. 
Lord, would you watch over them? Would you keep them safe? Would you allow them to know the freedom of walking in step with your spirit? And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impart the truth of this word to each and every heart here this morning. Help us afresh to put our trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.